reading from Gospel according to John, chapter 8, verses 56 through 69. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult, who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, and flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe, and who was the ones that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God, the Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ.
this morning, my heart and desire is nothing more than we would be able to encounter the reality of who God really is. And I just feel like that song is such a perfect song for what I'll be leading into and talking through of how there's so many things that we believe and we say that we know, and yet we are hindered from fully embracing who God is and approaching him fully and letting ourselves experience how good he really is. <laughs> and um, yesterday I was actually at a, a gathering for like the Free Methodist leaders of Southern California and something that one of the superintendents said, he said, if we could only, if we actually believed every sermon and lived out every sermon that we preached, he's like, how cool would that be? Like, how powerful would that be? He's like, we'd be on fire. And I just feel like in preaching this, I'm very much in the midst of taking hold of this for myself. Um, and so I invite you to join me in taking hold of what, what I feel God's put on my heart today. So I actually want to start off by getting some feedback from you. Um, I have a, a multiple-choice question here. Um, to transition, I need your, your full participation. So <laughs> help me out here, friends. <laughs> so when you really mess up, when you hurt somebody, when you snap, when you flip on your spouse or your kids or your friends, when you choose to say or think or do something that immediately afterwards you just you feel pretty crummy, do you, A, I need you to raise your hand if this is true for you, okay? A, scream for joy, and begin texting and calling all of your friends to inform them of what just happened. Raise your hand if that's for you, okay? Or B, hope no one noticed and try to hide it at all costs. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, um, I mean, when you're walking around and you're walking on the sidewalk and you trip a little bit, you don't go, hey, everybody, did you see that? It was the funniest thing. I, like, tripped and then I fell and I almost fell in the bush there. You don't do that, right? You usually look around really quick to make sure no one saw and then, you know, you just kind of act like it didn't even happen, right? <laughs> That's what we do. I know for me, I've honestly spent most of my life trying so hard to be perfect and to do things right and to avoid failure and mistakes at all costs. Even if they happen to try to like, no, 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 that didn't happen, look, 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 I'm good, I'm good, see? No problems, it's good. And it's even like the littlest things, silly things. So two weeks ago now, I went and I got a, a mani-pedi. It was the first time I had gotten a manicure or pedicure, anything of the sort, or even painted my nails since I got, since my wedding day and got married <laughs> three years ago, a little over three years ago. It was time. And <laughs> so, I mean, I, like, I upkeep them and stuff for the most part. Um, <laughs> so I was told that the gel manicure is supposed to last, all the women were like, yes, that's the one. That's the one that's supposed to last longer. So I was like, I'm going to go all out. I haven't done this. I don't do this. I'm going to get the gel paint. It's supposed to last. Ten days later, I don't know if that's like a reasonable amount of time or it's supposed to last longer than that. But 10 days later, I got the first chip. I was like, no! <laughs> I just would rather have like all nails painted perfectly or no nails with the paint, right? I don't want the chip. The chip, and I was like, ugh. And it was like, it's like everybody can see the chip, and by everybody, it was really just me, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> and so I discovered that 
very easy to like peel the sheet of the, the gel nail off. And so I was like, well, you're done then. Peeled it off, <laughs> full nail thing. I was like, ah, and now I had this one nail and the rest were painted. And then I noticed that some of the other ones, they weren't perfectly on there. There was like the edges that were like peelable. And it was, I don't know, it was like a, a moth to a flame. I was like, I will peel this off. And so now if you see, I have about 50-50. The remaining five are sturdy enough, and they, I, I'll leave them. I'm trying to leave them. This one's chipped. I'm leaving it, trying to leave it. So this is like a small, weird little glimpse into the challenges I have to give myself grace. Like, if I, I have this idea of myself that I'm this really kind and really loving, compassionate person, which I think that's how God sees me too. However, insert impatient moment where I freak out, super selfish, mean to Ryan, the sweetest man in the world, or someone else, and afterwards I'm just like, well, frick. Apparently I'm not so nice and compassionate and kind. Maybe I'm not as great as I think I am. And now, I mean, Ryan's really patient and gracious, but say it's maybe it's someone else that doesn't know me as well. It's like, well, now they think that I'm this terrible person now too. I'm found out. Now the reality of who I really am, deep down underside, underneath everything, has been revealed. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> you know? And, and really, like, the ironic thing, though, in these moments where I, you know, I'm like, shoot, I am terrible, I am, I am, I am, it's all about me. The ironic thing is in an effort to try to be this for someone else, I still am focusing on myself. I didn't stop to think about, oh, like, gee, I wonder if this person that I was just really impatient and rude to is, like, okay. That's really what matters, is if they're, you know, they're well, they're whole. So, it's, and it's, it's funny because then what happens is because I have this, you know, that I'm like focusing on myself and, oh man, I'm not what I want to be, then that kind of gets projected onto God. And it's because I have this, this challenge with really embracing the reality of God's grace and how he is and who he is. And so it kind of gets projected onto him. And it's not very conscious until I really dig deep on it and be intentional about it, but usually it's kind of subconscious. And I'll start to notice I'm not being as prayerful throughout the day. And I don't really want to spend as much time in the Word. Or I don't really want to, you know, uh, journal as long or spend as much time. Or it's like, okay, I'm going to have, you know, my quiet time. But it's because deep down I actually feel like I'm not good enough for that. That there's maybe some sort of, like, maybe he's a little upset. Like, hey, you know, like, you can have this prayer time. But I did remember the impatient moment you had yesterday. It's not forgotten, you know? And that's kind of like the underlying vibe or feeling that I have. And I think what happens is we kind of have this tendency to be very, like, black and white, all good, all bad, you know? Like, chip on nail, all destroyed. No more perfect manicured hands. Um, <laughs> and we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And we, then we kind of tend to try to, like, figure out, you know, why something has happened. And we kind of begin to create this strange version of our own justice system. So, you know, say, for example, we like, to, we like to attribute the reason. So maybe your friend, you guys are walking outside, and they get pooped on by a bird. And you're like, that's what you get for cheating last night on Uno. And that's like our weird sense of justice. Like, or it's like, well, see, you knew that you shouldn't have done the thing the other day, and that's, that's what coming back around. See, that's what happens. Or on kind of like a more serious note, we do that with other things, right? So you guys are laughing because you're like, I did that. I just said that to my friend yesterday. Um, <laughs> There, we do that with other things, too. So say something more 
tragic happens, when we don't know how to deal with it. And so it's like, well, there's got to be some sort of underlying reason why this happened. And so you've probably heard the phrase, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. And when we really unpack that, it has some, some negative implications on what that means for who God is. And what that really means when we say that is, or what, we, what gets being received, and you can correct me if this is not what it, the underlying tone sounds like, is that God has, God has caused this terrible thing to happen so that you can learn something from it. And you just got to figure out where you went wrong and what the lesson is so that these terrible things don't keep happening. Does that resonate? Okay. And the reality is, you know, despite, and let me just actually say this really, really quick. God doesn't do that. <laughs> let me just, I'll say that before we get it, I'll explain it further. But awful things in this world happen as a result of broken and fallen people. We're in a broken, fallen world. That's why we're here trying to make a difference and be transformed within ourselves and transform other people, right? And to allow the Lord to do his thing. God comes amidst the consequences of those moments where we're impatient, where we're not loving, where other people make mistakes, and he turns that around for good. He doesn't cause it. He uses it for, to make things better. Okay? So I just want to bring that clarification. Because here's the thing. Despite hearing how good God is and how amazing he is, if we have these underlying feelings and senses, they might not be conscious. This may be the first time you're thinking, like, well, yeah, that actually does put them in a really bad light. Right? But if that's there underneath it all, there's going to be a tension. There's going to be an, an, a subconscious conflict between if I come to this God with all of my issues, with all of my shame, with all of these mistakes that I've made, is he a God that's going to offer grace? I don't know, because I think maybe he might, be, he might end up teaching me a lesson. This awful thing that happened was a result of what I did. Does that make sense? So I started off by asking whether or not you excitedly text or call your friends when you make terrible mistakes because I want to get down to these underlying subconscious things that prevent us from feeling like we can fully come forward to God with every dirty part of us knowing that there's love and grace. And I want to, under, I want to address those things that I think create those hindrances, those barriers. And the reality is when we feel that freedom, that acceptance, and we have that full confidence to, to confess the things that we're feeling, to feel like we can lay it all out there and know that there's going to be love and acceptance on the other side, that's when we get to experience the real freedom and transformation. So let's take a look at our passages today. Joshua 24, 1 through 2, and then 14 through 18. You heard Luan say it very well. Joshua had gathered all of the leaders of Israel, and he was like, hey, I want you all to, to serve the Lord. And he's like, look, and he's like, you got you to serve somebody. You could be serving, you know, all these different things. He's like, you guys got to serve somebody. And he does. He says, you can serve the other gods, or you can serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And they're like, well, shoot, yeah, I mean, why, why would we not do that? We saw what he did in Egypt, and he's, you know, he's provided a lot of cool stuff. Like, yeah, like, we're in. You know, that's that basically what, what happened there. And what I want to do is show the difference between where Joshua and the Israelites at that time were coming from in their understanding of their relationship with God and contrast that to what Jesus offers us and what we're living in now. So 
I want to do that by looking at the ways that God has interacted with people up to that point, up to Joshua's time. So there was three different ways. We're going to look at two, okay? We're going to get into the nitty-gritty stuff here. There was the way of Abraham, and there was the way of Moses. Now, Abraham, we've talked about him a little bit. You've heard of him, Father Abraham, had any sons? If you're a kid and grew up in school, you know there's like a song that goes with that. <laughs> um, 400 years before Moses, okay? And he, exi- he lived before the law. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have any of that. He, was, he preceded that. So Abraham's living life. There was, there was some sort of faith base. I talked about Terah. That was his, his, aunt, his dad, his granddad, something like that. They had some sort of general faith base in God. But Abraham has this, this encounter, because Noah's before Abraham, okay? But we have Abraham. He has this interaction with this, this God, this deity, okay? God comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to have your descendants be as numerous as the stars, and I'm going to bless the world through you. I don't know about you, but if someone came to me, a God came to me and said that he was going to guarantee that for me, I'd follow him. I'd follow him. I would, I'd be like, I'm in. Let's do that. And the cool thing is, is God did this, and he solidified a covenant, okay? You can read this in Genesis 15 and 17. He solidified a covenant. The way he set up this covenant is super cool. He set it up so that he basically said, hey, Abraham, I am making this, this blood covenant, this, like, this legitimate covenant with you that I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to bless your name, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And if you don't follow me, if you disobey me, if you mess up, I'm still going to do it. I'm committed. This is my promise, no matter what you do. That's the kind of covenant. So basically Abraham's like, so I just kind of like have a relationship with you and you're, just, you're, you're indebted, like vowed to do this thing for me? Yep. That was the, that was the covenant with Abraham, okay? Now, fast forward, Israelites in Egypt, slavery, and then God brings them out of Egypt. We know all the, some of us know all the, the plagues and all the different things, crazy stuff, parting the Red Sea, all the other side. This is like, we're like fast forwarding through like the, like the video, fast forward the other side of the Red Sea. And so God's like, all right, everybody, new covenant, okay? Now, the covenant that ended up being created was not God's intention. However, it's the one we're most familiar with. It's usually the one that most of us are living out of. We'll talk about that. What God's original thing that he did was he wanted to have a nation of priests that had full access to God, that had relationship with him. And so you read in Exodus 19, and you can see kind of like the, the not abridged, the expanded, the extended version in Deuteronomy 5, um, where God gathers all the people and reveals his glory and his majesty to them and speaks to them audibly through fire. <laughs> Pretty cool, okay? And what happens is, and, and, and this is what he wanted. He wanted to create a covenant within that, like, we are gonna, we're going to hang out in my glory, and you all are going to be my people. It's going to be fantastic. This is what God wanted. He wanted to continue to have this intimate relationship with every single person, okay? So this moment happens. Cloud, fire, God, glory. Now, what happens is the Israelites, they can't handle it. It's too much for them. You have to understand, they just came out of Egypt, where Egypt had multiple gods of the earth and the fire and the sky. And then Pharaoh would have been seen as a god based on their belief system and whatnot. And I don't know if you, like I said, the story, Pharaoh wasn't really nice to them. 
Um, you know, <laughs> these gods, they weren't gracious, they weren't loving, they weren't safe. If you had, like, a, a solid encounter with a real deity, like, you're not supposed to live. So they had this slave mindset where it didn't make sense to have this kind of an intimate relationship with a god. So here's what their response is. They said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you, and we will listen and obey. So basically they're like, holy crap, this is nuts. If we stay here one second longer, we're sure to be consumed. We don't want a part of this. Moses, he seems to like you. You go into the fire stuff, and then you just tell us what he says, and we'll do what you say. So the Israelites literally opted out of this intimate relationship with the tangible glory of God and gave that duty to Moses. And God being, I mean, God doesn't force us into anything. We have free will. We have the ability to choose or to not choose him. He's not going to be like, well, too bad. You guys get to sit in the fire cloud and listen to me talk. That's not how he is. So he honored this request, and he submitted himself to a system that he never wanted to be bound to. His true nature ended up being veiled by the law. So what they requested, essentially, was this. They went from a unilateral contract with Abraham. That's what he had, right? God was like, look, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to do this thing. To bilateral contract, where they're like, they literally could not handle the fact that they just get to experience the, the, like, the power of a deity and to have this relationship with a loving God. They fully didn't even grasp the loving part and said it would make a lot more sense if we had a shared agreement here. Like, we'll, do, we'll hold up our end, you hold up your end. If we don't, you do this, you do that. So they, it made much more sense to earn that goodness. It made much more sense to them to have to own their part in it. And so what happened is what they created was this bilateral contract. It was a shared covenant where it wasn't just God bestowing the love and the blessing. It was also contingent on their behavior. And you see a distinct difference if you read between before Exodus 19 and after Exodus 19, how God responds when they make mistakes. He, he honors the covenant from there on, where when they make the mistakes, there's a system by which there has to be punishment for the sins. This was what they requested. And this was the deal that Joshua was trying to rally the troops to become a part of. And Joshua was like, hey guys, like, let's serve the Lord, let's get back into the good part of this covenant, let's get back to the way that this is supposed to be. And they're like, yeah, when we're in the good stuff, God gives us the good stuff, let's do that. And the sad thing was that this deal that they had, the, Mosaic, the Moses way, the Mosaic covenant, this deal was not God's ideal. And so then we fast forward to John 6, okay? And Jesus' proposition for his disciples, and granted, this group of people that he's talking to were his disciples. They weren't random followers. Disciples were people that literally were committed to following closely to the rabbi. Like, they're in. They're like, tell me everything that you say, I will do. I want to be just like you. So these are the disciples that he's saying this to. And Jesus says, you know, hey, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, 
Excuse me? That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> what he was saying, though, is I want you to embrace my death because through my death, I'm going to bring you life. I want you to consume every single part of me so that you can experience the total goodness of who I am. I want you to be so intimately connected to me that we are literally like we are one. And you hear, especially in John, the themes of oneness and unity between the Son and the Father and bringing humanity into that. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, when the disciples responded and they say, you know, this teaching is, is difficult, who, who can accept it? It's understandable why they'd be struggling with it because what they knew was similar to what the leaders that Joshua was rallying knew. You know, the God that brought the people out of Egypt, and so now, like, you know, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to conquer, and he's going to get rid of Rome, and we're going to be Israel, and we're going to, you know, we're going to rule over the world. Like, that's what they're banking on. And they're like, hold up, you said you're the son of God, but now you're going to die? Nope, that's not what, that's not what we signed up for. They may not think that he actually is the Messiah, or they're just like, we're not, that's not, that's not what we're doing. And so, a lot of them actually left. And what they what they didn't realize is that Jesus was setting up a kingdom. They wanted Israel's kingdom to be set up, right? But Jesus was setting up a kingdom, and it was a kingdom with a new covenant. And so Peter actually recognizes what was better about Jesus' offer. Jesus was not offering merely protection and provision in this life, you know, the establishment of, a, of an earthly kingdom. Um, he was offering eternal life, and he was offering intimate relationship, the thing that God has always desired. There's not a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is the same God. He's always wanted to be intimately connected with his people. That's who he is. And so Peter affirmed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's a difference between believing and knowing. I can say that I believe that it's 75 degrees outside. That's my belief. I believe it as hard as I want. But I have to go outside and feel it and probably get a thermometer to really know if it's 75 degrees outside, to know if it's 75 degrees outside. Does that make sense? So it's one thing to believe that God is good and loving and gracious, and it's another to know it. It's one thing to believe what Moses is saying about God is true and that he's a good guy and the fire doesn't kill you and it actually makes your face really shiny, and another to know it and to go in there and to embrace it and to experience his goodness. It's one thing to believe that God will forgive you, that God will offer you grace, that God can, that God can, can bring you satisfaction and joy and peace and all these different circumstances, to believe that, it's another to take the time to sit with him and receive it and get to know him and hear his voice. And the, this, this is the beautiful opportunity that we have before us. There's not a punishment on the other side of every mistake. Jesus fulfilled the requirements for Abraham's covenant, for Moses' covenant, and he set up a new covenant in Christ. Jesus took this upon himself so that we can boldly approach the throne of God. And from that throne, he sits there with arms wide open, 
extending love and grace to you. Many of you, though, like me, operate out of the Old Covenant a lot of times. Maybe you're like the Israelites, and coming face-to-face with the glory and goodness of God is overwhelming. It seems like too much. Even in sharing that, you're like, I don't know if I want the fire voice. I just don't know about that, you know? Um, (laughs) the, The pains and the burdens of your past define the level of grace and love that you feel like you should receive. So you've kept your distance in your actual intimate connection with God, and you've opted to experience him through coming here, through Kevin's sermons, maybe through Kevin's prayers. Maybe you've held on to an underlying belief that a pastor or a church leader, you know, has some sort of, like, VIP access to God. And it's kind of like Moses, and like, you know, like, if I tell Kevin to pray for me, and if I tell, you know, one of the Reuben or, or somebody to pray for me, then, like, it's going to get up there quicker, it's going to get answered faster. Like, this is like the VIP line, you know? Or maybe that God, you know, prefers to only speak to the cream of the crop, you know? It's kind of like, you've you got to work your way up to really have the, the good kind of relationship with him. And you just believe, like, that's not you. Maybe God doesn't actually, hasn't, like, seemed like he's actually loving or gracious to you. Maybe because you've had this, like, well, why are we saying that he's causing these bad things? Or how, I don't understand how that's actually loving. Or how come this group of, of, of people who say that they're believers and Christians did this thing or said this thing? Or what about this person that, you know, I thought was really cool and is a Christian, but then they really hurt me like this. And so now God actually doesn't seem as loving or gracious as he actually is. I know for me, if I don't believe that someone actually fully loves and accepts me and it's safe, I ain't telling you nothing. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to share. I'm not going to be vulnerable. Like, that's just not something I'm interested in. Granted, I'm working on that. But with God, you don't have to worry about it. And perhaps... You could also be having a difficult time receiving because you feel like you're undeserving. Maybe you feel like you're not in need of this lavish, extra love of God because you're like, I'm actually, I feel feel pretty good. Things aren't aren't too bad. I don't don't know if I need the the booming voice. I don't know. I don't know if I need the, the warm, fuzzy feelings of love from God. I don't know, you know? And it's a lot more than a booming voice and warm, fuzzy feelings. It's like, you know, legitimate relationship. But you're like, I don't know. Or, <laughs> and I would say too, have you ever heard that God hates sin? Anybody heard that? God hates sin? Okay. Here's what he hates. He hates seeing his people harmed by sin. He hates how sin brings you pain. He hates how sin causes division. He hates how sin causes you to turn away from him when he's still there with his arms wide open. That's what he hates. God never hates you or any other person, no matter what they've done, ever. And he's closer to you than you are to yourself, no matter what you've done. It's not a matter of whether or not you invite him there. He's there. He's not imposing, but he's there. And it's not scary, because some of us are like, are you serious? Dang, he knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's not scary. <laughs> He's not, he's there offering love and grace. And the, fun, the, great, the thing for me, every time I start beating myself up, and I'm like, ugh, Robin, ugh. And then I'm like, oh, now I have 
let me like bring this to God. It's like, God already knows. And he's been there loving and accepting the same the whole time. I'm the one who just realized it. He already knew. And he's in there. He's not causing chaos and pain. He's there to guide you from hurting yourself further. He's there to heal the deep oozing wound that has been perpetually deepening with the negative thoughts that you've held about yourself. He's there to remind you that you're valuable. He's there to show you the possibilities of what you can do in partnership with him. He's there to listen and to hear your heart, no matter where you're at. You don't have to clean up what you're saying or how you feel. He's there to listen how you are, right where you are. He's there to give you peace. He's there to guide you into healthy relationships. He's there to give you the grace and tools you need to experience the abundant life he created you to have. So here's where this leads us. When we understand who God is, admitting our wrongs is exciting. Because we know that grace and transformation is on the other side. And here's the thing. If we are not real about where we're at, if we don't actually look at where we're at, if we continue to pretend like the chip's not there or take all the nail polish off or, you know, trip and make sure no one saw it, if we keep living like that, then we don't get to heal. We don't actually get to deal with the stuff. We don't get to move forward. So some of you know that I'm a health coach. And when I'm working with my clients, there's a phase in the beginning where we have to talk through how to deal with mistakes. And there comes a time in the first week or two when I say, hey, how's your week going? And they're like, oh, well, I was super busy, and I just, I couldn't, there was no way I couldn't stick to the food guidelines, and then, you know, like, this thing happened, and so, like, I, I didn't, I couldn't, there was no way, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't finish the module. And I don't, I don't shame them, I don't, I don't make them feel bad. What we do is we get clear on what actually happened. So they're saying, I could not follow the requirements. I could not finish the module. The truth is, they could. They really could. What happened was, the truth is, they just wasn't made a priority. And if we don't identify what actually happened, then we can't adjust it. And so what we do is we talk through that in light of if we take responsibility for our life and we take responsibility with regard to whatever is happening externally. We look internally at those things. Because if we don't, and we continue to place blame and to make, our, make what we do based on what's happening out here, that's a really good way to not deal with what's going on in here. And if we want to experience the freedom and the transformation of, in their case, a sustainable, healthy lifestyle, then they have to acknowledge where they're at and take hold of the grace to move forward. So if we blame our sins and our mistakes on other people, on circumstances, on God, on all these different things, then we miss out on the opportunity to take responsibility for how we can be healed, we can be restored, we can be freed up. We miss out on taking hold on all that Jesus has given us through life in him. Even in, I mean, in all that God has given us, we still have to take hold of it. We have to, you can put the, the gift right there in the lap, and if we just kind of sit there like this, don't open it up. <laughs> we don't get to use it. Sometimes we decide that there is no sacrifice or punishment to suffice what we've done. 
So we take justice into our own hands, and we become our own executioners. We forego the grace of God, and we again, like Israel, choose to distance ourselves from God's goodness because we don't know how to handle the grace for what we've done. We don't know how to let ourselves even receive the goodness of God. So I can tell you right now that for me, I'm in the process of working through all of this. I told you the beginning. This is for me too. If you follow my social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you look at my posts, my videos, you'll notice a theme. There's a lot of stuff about grace in there. Because that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with. I have to remind myself a lot. Even this morning, Ryan knows that I had to take some time and forgive myself for not being who and where I wanted to be in preparation for this, which is probably why I got extra emotional because it's just like, God, <laughs> do your thing. But the thing is, I really want to be real about where I'm at. I'm sick and tired of trying to pretend like everything's okay and like I'm perfect. It's exhausting. It feels it feels like a big, like, potential, a big almost. It's just, like, so unsatisfying. It's like a drip, it's like a cup of water in the desert, and it's like, can't reach it. Like, you know? That's what it feels like. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Like, I want to just drink all of it. I want all that God has for me. I want to be all that he's called me to be. So maybe that's what you want, too. But there's some underlying beliefs that you've held about God or yourself that have hindered you from freely sharing every aspect of your heart and life with God. Do you have full confidence that he's faithful to forgive? Do, do you know that he's not disappointed in you? Do you know that he's not punishing you? That you're worthy of total forgiveness? This is who God is and has been from the beginning. His heart and desire has always been to love on his people, to have close relationships, to offer grace and forgiveness when we mess up. And knowing that he is not going to strike you for your mistakes, he's there with arms wide open, eager for you to share in, in the freedom of sharing all the stuff, out all the dirty laundry. He wants it. He'll clean it. <laughs> and the reality is, sometimes it's hard. Kevin's done really well to talk about that a couple weeks ago. Sometimes when we're trying to go through this restoration thing, people are upset, and it's hard, and it's painful. Did God make it hard and painful? No. That's what sin does. And he's there to give you the grace that you need to be able to work through that. And so yesterday, I was reviewing this message, and so if you look on your bulletins, it's called, what's it called? No God, Confess Freely. <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> I already changed it. Scrap it. I don't even remember what it is. But I want, <laughs> I want to make an edit on that um, because I think for some of us, confession has kind of like a negative association. It might seem like it's kind of like a shameful thing, or maybe some of us have it associated with like a religious thing, and we're like, eh, religion. Or maybe it kind of seems like intrusion, intrusion to privacy, kind of like, well, what do I need to share my stuff for? Like, it's just you, you know? Like, eh. So maybe that's where we're coming. But there is freedom in confessing. But I want to change it to is what Jesus was talking about in John 6. Where he's saying, freedom in confessing comes by consuming God's grace and love. It comes by taking in all that we possibly can of the person, the person, the being that is love. That's what he is. That's who he is. Love. When we consume that, confession is easy. It's conversation. 
it's 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 almost as if it's not even necessary to confess because it's like we've just been chilling the whole time together. We've been communing. We've I've been consuming him. So when we understand that confession isn't one of three points of interaction with God, and that it's actually a part of being in relationship with him, connecting with him, we get some real transformation work done. So if you want to choose to get to know how good God really is, if you're done operating out of that old covenant, the Moses way, if you want to consume his grace and love, if you're done letting sin and shame and brokenness define you and how you relate to the world and how you choose to relate to God, if you want to truly take hold of the satisfaction and freedom that comes from being fully known and even in your darkest places still being fully accepted and fully empowered to love others the same way, then I invite you to stand and to say a prayer with me. So let's go ahead and say it together. God of spirit and life, we come to you with a humble heart and a contrite spirit asking for your grace to be showered upon us. We feel inadequate to even approach you, but we know you hear us with love as we ask your forgiveness. We have limited our experience of you by focusing on our own shame and not on your gracious face. We confess that we have not always reflected your compassion to those around us. While we find it easy to be compassionate towards those whom we love, we find that it is harder to do that with those who we consider to be our enemies, which often includes ourselves. Help us to know you. Help us to look first at how we can best transform ourselves into a more faithful reflection of your love instead of how we can change those whom we have conflicted feelings. Help us to consume your grace freely. We hunger for your spirit and life. Feed us this day. Amen.